The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. R. Scott Clark. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we approach your word this morning, we ask your blessing. We ask you to grant us uh, encouragement, joy, peace, all the blessings and benefits that belong to the people of God, and, and uh, in this time, some rest, perhaps, from our studies, and to be re-encouraged again in the good news as it comes to us in the Gospels. Hear our prayer, forgive our sins, renew us in every way, conforming us to the image of Christ, putting to death in us the old man, making alive in us the new. For Jesus' sake, amen. I'd like to look with you this morning at uh, Mark 5, 1 through 20, the encounter between our Lord and the, what used to be known as the Gadarene demoniac, the Gerizim demoniac. Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20, God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible, and immutable word. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces, No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And when they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the, the, one who had the uh, legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, They were afraid, and those who had seen it described it to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged begged him that he might uh, be with him, and he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and how everyone marveled. As far as the reading of God's word, and may he bless this word as we think about it. This uh, gospel, as I understand it, maybe a little bit differently from uh, some or maybe most modern scholars, was, uh, I think, written uh, around 43 A.D., and uh, under Claudius and sent to the Roman Christians, probably, that's, no one knows for certain. But uh, it is rather certain that this gospel was intended to uh, cast Jesus in light of his kingdom. The opening words of our Lord in 115 are paradigmatic, programmatic for the gospel of Mark. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came announcing uh, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And, and if it was Roman Christians who were reading this, and if it, as the oldest tradition holds, or the older traditions held, and if it was the case that uh, Mark is writing to follow up uh, on Peter's ministry there, not that he was a pope or exercised any papal authority. The early church knows the Gospels or the, the New Testament knows nothing about a, a Petrine papacy or any kind of papacy. And the early church knows, the second century knows nothing of a papacy, whatever, uh, certainly not a Petrine papacy. So we need not worry about that, uh, however we come out on the, the dating. Um, but uh, the tradition is that Peter or Mark uh, wrote this to summarize what Peter had been teaching uh, in the church. And Mark, uh, as Stonehouse pointed out to us uh, many decades ago, crafts his gospel, right? Each of the gospel writers has their own uh, agenda, as it were, and their, o- and their own uh, way of telling the story. And we have to respect uh, the, the particular intent of each of the authors. And, and, and you know from reading Mark that this is a fast-paced gospel. I feel like it's, the, it's really the best in a way, the most apt gospel for our age because everything is immediately. Autus, autus, autus. Immediately, immediately, immediately. It's very fast-paced. It's very brief. It moves. You could film this. You could probably make a, a half-hour TV show out of it and, and you could tell the, the gospel to a bunch of busy urbanites. Right? Right? Not a bunch of um, sort of slow-moving farmers and suburbanites who maybe have two or three hours to sit around and... and Perhaps. So, that, so that's one way of thinking about the gospel of Mark. And Jesus comes announcing his kingdom. And Mark is saying to these Roman Christians, I know that you know about the, this worldly uh, kingdoms. And imagine if you lived in D.C. or around D.C. And if you've ever been there, and I've, I've only been once, but I'm a longtime watcher and reader of politics. Uh, I was catechized uh, on the Omaha World Herald long before I was catechized in the Heidelberg Catechism. And, and on Sunday mornings, when you good people, good Christians were in church, we, we were reading the Omaha World Herald uh, pay, from cover. To, we were not allowed as a child really just to read the comics, <laughs> which is <laughs> sometimes what I wanted, but um, we, we read everything. And so I've been paying attention to politics for a long time, and, and politics is about the acquisition of power. People involved in politics will say anything, do anything to get power. It's the be-all and end-all of power. When you, go, when you go to places of power, that's all people talk about. Who's in, who's out, who's losing his job, who's got this committee assignment, who's exercising this control, 
And, and so these people in Rome knew this, they understood this, and Mark is saying to them, listen, I want you to understand that there's a different kind of a kingdom that's entered into history now in the person of Jesus, whom a middling, probably incompetent regional governor put to death, but who on the third day was found to have been raised and is now ascended and seated at the right hand of God the Father and ruling not just Judea, but all the nations as the sovereign king. He rules them with a rod of iron in his ascended and glorious session. This is the king I want you to know. This is the kingdom about which I want you to know and in which I want you to believe. And here we see that he is the king of the wind and the sea. This is the setting right just before we get to chapter 5. He's conquered the, the wind and the seas, the power of sovereign God. He's crossed the Sea of Galilee and he's come to the uh, Gerasenes or the Gadarenes as they used to be. And immediately what we see is a, a kind of almost violent spiritual confrontation. It's one of the most, to me, one, one of the most remarkable portions in, in all of Scripture. It's, it's uh, graphic, it's compelling. It looks like one of these reality TV shows where the cops get out of the car and you're with them and you see, you know, the cop rolls up, he doesn't know or she doesn't know what she's going to find or what's going to happen and out comes this Gezerine uh, demoniac and Mark gives us this very graphic account of uh, just as soon as Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there's that wonderful adverb that Mark employs so frequently, there met him out of the tombs. So he paints this picture right away. Right? Out of the tombs, not a nice place. This is an ugly place. This is a place where nice people don't go. It's a place where decent people don't hang out. Um, and, and in the police parlance, this fellow who meets them, they have, a, in California anyway, they have a word, they have a code they use for these people. They're called 5150s. This is a person who is a danger to himself and others. And, uh, and, they, and they get handled a, a particular way. And so here comes this. But this is not an ordinary 5150. It's not just someone who is insane uh, or someone who is on drugs. This is someone who has a demon. And that's the other striking thing about the, the gospel here. And all the gospels, they are unabashedly, boldly, and even shockingly supernatural. We have to, in a sense, work. We have to die to our naturalism, our materialism, and our, our modernism. That's something we have to mortify, particularly in the Gospels, but I think everywhere relative to our faith. You know, we are modern and late modern people. I was born into modernity. I, real, I realize that more and more all the time. Our, our teachers used to say, I remember my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. George, used to say, probably with a hint of irony, we're getting better every way and every day. Hard to believe a fourth grade teacher really thought that, but that's what she used to say. So we, we were living in this time, and, and when I was a child, I was born into a time of optimism and, and relative prosperity and, and a sense of, of forward-looking progress. President Kennedy had said that we were going to the moon, and in 1969, we actually did it. We said we were going to do it, and we did it. My parents hauled me out of bed in my jammies and made me look at this flickering black and white television, rubbing the sleep out of my eyes. I really didn't care. I mean, in my world, of course, you have transistor radios. Of course, you have jet travel. The jets used to fly over our house from the Strategic Air Force base 
south of us in Bellevue. This is, we had sonic booms. Of course, this is the kind of world in which we live. Of course, we go to the moon. But my mother was born on a farm or near, in, in, on a farm or in town. I don't know, but it really didn't matter. She was born virtually in the 19th century or even the 18th century for all the technology that existed. So the idea, my grandmother didn't uh, fly on a jet until she was into her 50s or 60s. She saw them fly overhead, and then she finally climbed on one, and now we went to the moon. So we've been, I was raised in a world of progress and optimism, and many of you are living on the sort of other side of that. But we're all moderns, or late moderns, or liquid moderns, and we all live with a sort of legacy of the closed world that the moderns constructed. We know how the world works, we're in charge, and things like this don't happen. But in the Gospel of Mark, things like this do happen. There are demons who possess people and who know who Jesus is and without a moment's hesitation announce to everyone who he is. But let's dwell a little bit on, the, on that poor fellow who was possessed. We don't know why he was possessed, how he was possessed. Was he some pagan messing around with Wickedness, spiritual wickedness, and he ended up getting possessed. We don't know. It is a pathetic kind of a story. He lived in the tombs, right? A place where nobody wants to be, a dark place, a place of death, a place of hiddenness, of exclusion. And he was put there and kept there because they couldn't bind him anymore. The demons within him were so powerful, they couldn't control him anymore. He'd often been bound with shackles. Shackles are, in modern police work, about the last thing they do to you. They do that when they can't do anything else. There's a, one other thing they do. They wrap you up like a mummy so that you can't move at all. But sh these shackles were heavy and they were powerful, and yet he was able to burst these shackles. Just, it's just a thought, of, thought experiment, but put yourself in, in, have somebody put you in handcuffs with a key and then try to get out. Modern handcuffs, well, imagine iron shackles and chains. So that means on foot and foot and hands. And he just burst those things. What a sad fellow. And we, we're made to feel even more uh, empathy or sympathy with him. Because night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, I, the, there's a bit of him still left, even though he's possessed by demons. And he's crying out. And, and, and hitting himself with stones, either because of the possession or he's trying to get rid of the demons. Again, we don't know. But when he sees Jesus in verses 6 and 7, he falls. And, so, and Mark just tells us, the demons know who Jesus is and what he is. They know that he's God the Son, and they know what he is, that he is the king of all things. And they come, and as, Jesus, as they come before Jesus, he falls down before him which is the appropriate posture before a king and crying out with a loud voice. It's now not the man, it's the demons. What have you to do with me? And he names him Jesus, son of the most high God. In, in the ancient world, as Dr. Baugh can tell you, this was a way to try to control the gods and the demons. You name them and then you, you swear, right? I, I adjure you. This is formal language. This is formulaic language. Do not torment me. I'm, he attempts to try to control Jesus. That's a bad idea. Jesus can't be controlled, won't be controlled. 
And he's saying this because already Jesus was saying, come out of the man, and, and apparently repeatedly. And Jesus said, what is your name? And this should make your blood run cold a little. My name is Legion. And what he said is, I, have, I am 5,400 infantry and 120 horsemen. This is real spiritual power, real spiritual darkness, real spiritual control. And, and Jesus confronts this. And the, the amazing thing is they, they, they know who he is and they say who he is. If you want to know who Jesus is and what he does, ask the demons. They all know. They always know and they always say. We won't say Right? Smart, enlightened people that we are, but the demons are not enlightened. They're not, right? They're not bound by the, the strictures of modernity. They're not embarrassed. They're in direct contact, if you will, despite the fact that they're demons, they're in contact with reality, and they tell in these instances the truth. And they begin begging him not to send them out of the country. Why they're so attached, I don't know. Send us into the pigs. We know that these were likely then pagans in the Decapolis. And so Jesus permits the unclean spirits to go into the pigs, probably again some irony here. And about 2,000 of them went off the cliff. We could think about this if we had time and what this implies, but time gets away from us. The reaction to all this is also fascinating. The herdsmen uh, flee, and they go into the city, and they say, we just saw the most incredible thing. You know that guy that nobody can control that hangs around the tomb? Well, this guy gets out of the boat, and they tell the story. And look uh, how people respond. Look how people respond. They're afraid. And they don't want Jesus around. That's, that's one response to Jesus. They're unlikely messengers. Announcing the advent of his kingdom. But these messengers are repulsed by the king. Jesus has repulsed the demons. That man was repulsive to the community. And now Jesus they find Jesus repulsive. This is what happens. We ought not to think that when we announce the coming of the king and the kingdom, that people are going to welcome us with open arms. By nature, after the fall, we like the status quo. These people like the status quo. They didn't want the status They would rather have the, the demoniac in the, in the tombs than to have him delivered and have, to, and have to do what the demons did and submit to Jesus. How remarkable is that? And people tell me, I have a hard time with the doctrine of total depravity. Really? God the Son in, incarnate, whom even the demons can recognize, saves a man, delivers him from 5,400 Demons plus 120, you do the math. And we don't want any part of that. Tell me we aren't depraved. Then there's a, there's a second reaction, though. 
You see that at the end of the passage. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been, not now possessed, but had been, right, there's the good news. The king comes and saves the possessed, the ugly, repulsive, unlovely, frightening demoniac and conquers the demons in the power of the kingdom of God. That man who had been possessed begged him that he might be with him. That's the response of a believer. I want to be with you. You're for me. I, I, and the natural inclination of the, even the most ill-informed Christian is to be with Jesus. And then Jesus, as he often does, defies our expectations and doesn't say get in the boat. He says, no, go home. And again, this is, defies expectations because just as often in the Gospel of Mark, he tells people, don't tell anyone. And now he says, I want you to go to the Decapolis and I want you to tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. That's all. Just go. This is the, by the way, this is the consistent pattern of witness. You're looking for examples of lay witness in Scripture where we don't have to twist or turn or. It's very simple. I was a demoniac. You know, who I, you know who I was. You know what I was. You saw me. Maybe you tried to put shackles on me. And now look at me. Jesus of Nazareth came across the sea and he freed me. That's it. No manipulation. No tricks. No altar calls. No nothing. Just an unvarnished announcement of what was true. And what had happened. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. It doesn't even tell us the outcome. It just tells us their reaction. And that's all we do. The good news is that the king has come, the king has conquered, the king has delivered, and we're free to go and announce that and leave the outcome to the king because it's his kingdom. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.